Have you guys watched Shit's Creek? Oh my god. Moira's like, oh my god, David! Right. The family can't handle a baby! <laughs> and then you're like, that's Kevin's mom. Right. Like, what? That's Kevin's mom. Hey everybody and welcome back to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined with the other host, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up, man? How are you? I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm I'm good. I'm trying to remember how we do this. It's been uh it's been a minute. It has been a minute since we've been here on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Back here in uh studio I don't know, six four thirty. Studio four thirty. There we go. There we go. I was like, <laughs> does it have a name? Numbers. Yes. So uh it's been a few weeks, probably a couple of months since we last um aired an episode. Um both Scott and I have been rather busy with our other ventures, our day jobs. However, we wanted to take some time before the end of the year to do a recap episode about what's happened in twenty nineteen, where we're at, so that we can also set the stage for what's going to happen in twenty twenty. So as you guys know, the House today introduced articles of, oh, you mean not not, <laughs> not impeachment. No, but that's a big not deal, right? <laughs> um, as as listeners well know, we have we and we still are working on a healthcare series. Um, we'll be releasing that in January. Um, what's been interesting is that every time we start to schedule that, something else happens, and so perhaps. Rather serendipitously, we've not yet released it because we would have to have all these addendums on there. Yeah, I think our, th- our thought process, you know, was in, was to initially do it to try and like prepare people, you know, because we knew that the ballot expansion, you know, the Medicaid expansion ballot question was coming, and you know, the healthcare working group. But now the governor's got a proposal. Well, the governor's talking about having a proposal out there. So I mean, it's clear that healthcare generally and Medicaid specifically is going to be a huge topic um, in this next session of the legislature. So. I, you know, I think I think to your point, our, our thought was like, we just need to wait until we're in session and this is kind of happening in real time. And then we can both talk about what these proposals are and what they mean, but also what kind of the ongoing developments will do right. rather than like yeah. kind of talk about ongoing developments and like refer back. Hey, remember back in October when we talked about like what a, you know, what a section 1115 waiver is? Well, now we can talk about it in like in real time. Right. Yeah. I think we'll have a more informed uh, series, if you will, right? Um, that's the hope. That's the hope. Okay, well, let's, uh, Scott, let's start our recap uh, with starting where it started. <laughs> starting where it started. Come on, Andy. At the beginning. At the beginning. Uh, back in January, I believe, I, is February, I guess, was Governor Stitt's first State of the State address. Something. It feels like feels like a lifetime. It does feel like a lifetime ago. So I, and you can look on our on our blog, I will link to the post about the state of the state that contains the full text of his state of the state address um, from 2019. We will kind of go through a few things. Um, I honestly, Scott, as I was reading through this uh, earlier this week, planning this episode, it looks like the governor's hit most of the <laughs> the big things that he said he was going to do this year. Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, uh, and a lot of these, I think, were were reasonably foregone conclusions. So he spent a lot of time wanting to, or a lot of effort talking about wanting to uh, consolidate consolidate some 
authority within the executive, you know, the hiring, yeah, hiring, hiring and firing, firing. Of, mm-hmm. of agency directors. And he definitely got that. That was a big issue. And I think he got hiring and firing authority for every agency for which he was seeking it, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. And also changed the, the makeup of some of the boards. Um, digital driver's licenses, moving Oklahoma into the 21st century. I've, um, I've had the beta version of that. There was I saw that you could download it. It's yeah. uh, a little weird because it does like a 3D scan of your face kind of, so it kind of moves your face back and forth. And I think they're moving towards the official release of that. However, I don't know if that's actually accepted like by TSA or other states even. If you go try to buy beer in Texas, is that for the times that I still get carded occasionally? I, I don't know the answer to that. But we will have real ID here supposedly next in a year right we got another extension <laughs> after 10 10 years of fighting real id because it was an obama administration proposal we're finally saying okay i guess the federal government <laughs> really does have the authority to say th- who can fly on planes i think they mean it <laughs> yeah so um another big thing of course uh, last year was education and teachers got another small raise which is something that the governor mentioned in his state of the state he wanted to give them uh, an, a another pay raise now you know we they had a big pay raise year before last walk out and all of that they got another smaller raise last year at the same time the the goal of that was to get us on par with our surrounding states however those states also raised pay for teachers and so we're not as high up as we as the governor hoped we would be right hey, oklahoma i see you and i raise you <laughs> you know it is called Texas Hold'em, I suppose. They're playing that oh, a bit with us. There you go. There you that's, go. Of all the states for us to compete with, that's a toughie. Um, so I'd, and I don't think they made any actual changes to the school funding formula, but Scott, remind me, did they did they actually change like dis- school district's ability to use funds for other things you're shaking no, your head no no that was a that i think that i assume that'll come up again this year but as as i recall they did not so you still are limited and like you know districts are limited in what they can use like property taxes and those things for right. you can't just say we're like you know a wealthy district can't just say we're going to jack up our property taxes and pay our teachers three four five six times what the state average is like right um some of that money has to go towards like capital improvements and yeah. stadiums and stuff. Yeah. And so, um, so I do not believe that that's been, that's been done yet. As I recall. Yeah. Criminal justice has been another big topic, right? And so I mean, arguably the biggest in terms of like major kind of state reforms that happened this year. And, and certainly the, maybe the biggest that affect the most people, I mean, the education and, and criminal justice reform. Right. And so in, uh, 2018, uh, we, the the voters passed state question 780 and 781 which dealt with um with some criminal justice reforms right and making simple possession a, a misdemeanor not a felony and changing the penalties for that that was 16 right i don't it all runs together i think that man. was i think it was 16 and then they've been like working out the kinks and then this year they passed retroactivity was it really that long i think it was 16 yeah i could have sworn it was last year i'm pretty sure it was last year. i don't i'm Eighty-five. You can Google it while I talk. Uh, regardless, um, the they passed a bill this year to make state question seven eighty retroactive, right? And so that means that folks that are feasibly like in prison or have been charged and and convicted of these um, drug possession, nonviolent drug possession charges, are now those what was a felony is now being rolled back to be a misdemeanor. 
The Oklahoma reclassification of some drug and property crimes as misdemeanors initiative, also known as State Question 780, was on the November 8th, 2016 ballot in Oklahoma. Wow, man, time flies. Right? Well, it, okay, so it took us three years to, to, like, to get it. it retroactive. That's yeah. bananas. Maybe that's why it's such a big deal. Okay, well... Listeners, I apologize, but it is. The, I mean, it's. I mean, it's the largest commutation in the history of the United States, right? Yeah, that was like, a huge deal. It was like four hundred people. Or something. I mean, it was, a, it was a huge number, and it's Oklahoma making national news in what I think is inarguably a positive direction. So, right. um, and now we are not. We are no longer the highest incarcerating state, right? We're like second or something, or we have the second I mean, highest number. We're still up there with North Korea, but um, well, but I think I. From what uh, Leader Eccles said, we are closer to 48th than we are to 50th. Like, we're 49th, but we're almost 48th, which is progress. I mean, small victories. Small victories. (laughs) It does seem nuts that we had the largest commutation in history, and yet we're still one of the three, one of the two worst states. So hopefully that will continue to get better. It's not great. And I I think related to that, um, if if you are on Twitter and you follow Adam Luck, um, I think you should. He doesn't tweet often, but when he does, it's worthwhile. And he's the director at City Care, and he was named to the Pardon and Parole Board. Um, and whenever they meet, he usually does a tweet thread that's very thoughtful. It's not super long, maybe you know seven to ten tweets, describing what the discussion was like and why they decided what they decided. And it's always very thoughtful. And I think what is clear is that you can you can sense a decent shift in how the pardon parole board is operating, right? Like so, their their modus operandi, their mo of how they are approaching reviewing these commutation requests and uh, or these pardon and parole requests and and granting, and they have been granting them at higher rates than uh, previously, and they've been very thoughtful, and they're recognizing that like, listen, we've got a we got to let folks get back to their lives because keeping them in prison is not helping them and it's not helping our state. And so um, that's been, I think that's a big shift. Now, um, the other, maybe the third leg of the stool this year from education, criminal justice, and healthcare, right? And now we've talked about uh, Medicaid expansion for, oh, the better part of a decade, I believe, since the Affordable Care Act was signed into law. And for a long time, it was just, we're not going to do anything. And then this last year happened, and a few things changed. I mean, I would actually say we've been talking about it for a long time, saying we're not going to do anything. And then in 2016, Barack Obama left office and suddenly became something that we were willing to talk about because he wasn't the president anymore. Right. Right. I mean, that's like, that's like, that's really to me the inflection point was 2016. And there were some folks who were adamantly opposed while they were legislators and then came out and became lobbyists and decided like, Oh, maybe this wouldn't be like, you know, so bringing, bringing evil socialism to Oklahoma. Yeah. But still, even since Obama left office, there's been significant there's, evolution. There's been, right. Well, has it though? I, mean, I, think, I mean, I think so. Like, I, mean, I think so. I mean, I think, I mean, I think when you, when you have the fact that like there are, I mean, you have an overwhelming, Republican majority in both houses of the legislature. And there is a group that is looking at how does Medicare, how does Medicaid expansion work quote unquote for Oklahoma, right? Like what's the Oklahoma specific version? I mean, cause even, you know, 10 years ago we wouldn't even discuss an Oklahoma specific version, right? Like, like I still think there's, you know, there are in terms of his, in terms of like just straight Medicaid expansion. No, like we're not there yet, but, right. but I mean, in, in, 
2016, um, the the man who was at that time the head of the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, which oversees Medicaid, Nico Gomez, mm-hmm. proposed um, a, what would have been an Oklahoma plan, not that different from what they're talking about now, and it was not heard. It was shut down immediately. Um, and even though it had a lot of support from, I think, both sides of the aisle, but leadership was like, no, no, this is still a form of expansion. We're not going to hear it. Nico resigned after that and got a different job. And here we are three years later, we've had a working group. Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> the uh, the people took the responsibility on themselves and said, well, if you're not going to do it, then we're going to do it for you and collected more signatures than any other ballot initiative in history. And the legislature said, oh, shit, it's going to be medical <laughs> marijuana all over again. Right. I mean, this there's a series of these things where due to years, decades, in some cases of inaction by the state legislature, the people are using direct democracy, which is a a uh, a right and a uh, given to us by our state's founding fathers, right? And so they, the Medicaid expansion, state question 802 um, folks got the signatures they need. They are currently kind of just waiting for the system to, to work. And once that really started going, we saw the legislature form some working groups, led by the same people who proposed bills last year that were not heard, right? And leadership had enough foresight to be like, well, we should appoint them to run these working groups to try to develop a plan, an Oklahoma plan for Medicaid expansion. But they have not yet formalized that into a bill. The governor has said he does not support expansion. He wants a block grant. And not to... not to spoil the milk here, because this is going to be in our healthcare series, but the Trump administration has not been warm to all these state-specific plans. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's a, I mean, I think a really good recap of like kind of where the landscape is. Right, there's really three. I mean, really, if we're going to get real specific, there's only one option. There's only one actual option on the table right now, right? And that is state question 802, which is full Medicaid expansion as envisioned by the Affordable Care Act, right? The legislative working group has not come up with a bill yet, and in fact, they are. And I mean, I have a I have a ton of respect for Representative McIntyre and Representative uh, Senator McCourtney, who are the leaders of that of that group. They've come out and said, like, "Hey, we're not going to really put a proposal out there because we want to see what the governor's proposal is." The governor had been saying, <coughs> really, ever since it became clear that Medicaid expansion as a ballot initiative was going to happen. The governor has been saying, no, we're, that's not the, that's not right for Oklahoma. I'm going to have an alternative plan. He never really said what it was. But three or four weeks ago, he mentioned, uh, he said in an interview that uh, the answer, I, I, and I think, I think I'm quoting here, the answer for Oklahoma is a block grant, end quote. Um, there's since been a more detailed article in the journal record that says, um, um kind of that talks a little bit more about his thoughts there, but not very much. He has hired some consultants to advise us on how to do this block grant. We're paying them, I think, one point five or one point six million dollars. They're from Minnesota. Which is the same amount of money we would we could spend to basically insure everyone for one year. Yeah. So um and then and then he has said that he's gonna have his plan out by the end of the year, which is I think twenty one days from now. So um we'll <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's I don't know so you've got, in theory, you've got Medicaid expansion, just straight Medicaid expansion. You have whatever the working group's going to come up with, which 
I suspect will mirror kind of what the governor wants to do. I mean, I, that's something, yeah. you know, like they'll try to make those things kind of dovetail at least. And then the governor has indicated that he thinks a block grant is the answer, which is interesting because a block grant for Medicaid has never been done. Tennessee is the first one to actually propose it. And theirs is going for review as of like two weeks ago. Hmm. So no one's ever actually done a block grant for Medicaid. So I don't know how the governor like knows that that will work in Oklahoma since it would be the first place it's ever been tried and the data is not promising no it's not i mean it's it, i mean health i think i don't think it's exactly i don't think it's an exaggeration at all to say that health care like health policy experts on both sides of the aisle think that block grants are a terrible idea right like that's like that's not a conservative or liberal position that's like uh no and and then aside from whether or not they're a good idea there's a real question about whether or not they're legal. Like it's not at all clear that you can do that. Like even if, even if the Trump administration said to Oklahoma, yeah, you can do a block grant. It is not at all clear that that would withstand legal scrutiny mm-hmm. because of the way that the Medicaid laws are written. Basically what it boils down to is any waiver that's granted under this section is called section one, one, five, one, 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 five, a waiver that is granted has to be granted to States to experiment with Medicaid essentially for the purposes of like furthering and bettering what Medicaid does. Like that's ambiguous. Well, it is, but it's been routinely held by the courts to mean like providing better, more higher quality healthcare. Mm -hmm. And under virtually any scenario, a block grant is going to cover fewer people and cover less services. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really tough to envision how you can make a legal argument that a block grant furthers the purpose of Medicaid. Interesting. So we'll talk about this like ad nauseum, but Uh, that's a good preview though. Tune back in, in January, everyone Uh, related to healthcare, more healthcare. uh, I think, you know, also in 2019, the governor announced the governor's challenge for the Memorial marathon. Do you think he'll do that again next year? You think so? Yes. I hope I passed him last year somewhere um, on, uh, on Lincoln South of 23rd. He was huffing and puffing, and I was not in in great shape, but I felt good about passing the governor. And so I think we should have a let's fix this team next year. I will meet you guys at the end with a cooler of beer. You could you could do a five k leg. Um, I mean, I could. Yes, I could survive. Just put it out there, listeners. Keep it. Put that. Put that feather in your cap and think about it. I don't know that you want me to compete. <laughs> well, it's not about who. We're not racing. It's just about doing it. Let's. What if we had like five teams or 10 teams of let's fix this people. No, that'd be awesome. And just have a bunch of shirts and everyone's like, Oh snap, look at these people. And we're, we're running for civic engagement. I'll be the pace setters for the walking democracy dash. How about that? Nice. There you go. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll think about that. Uh, listeners, if you are interested in joining, a let's fix this marathon relay team, a democracy dash team, please, uh, send me an email at podcast at let's fix this. Okay.org or hit us up on Twitter at let's fix this. Okay. Excuse me. Um, so Scott, did the did we end up expanding the rainy day fund? Yeah, we did. We put a big deposit in. I want to say that right now the rainy day fund sits at about a billion, maybe like one point two. But we raised the cap to like two billion. Yeah. So it's not at the two billion the governor envisions. And to be fair, he wants that by the end of his first term. Um, now, if you uh, are following the rig count in Oklahoma, <coughs> the oil rig count. Yeah, the oil rig count as well as uh, closures of uh, Halliburton plants in El Reno, massive Halliburton layoffs in Duncan. Um, I mean, I, I could be wrong and I, and I hope I'm wrong. 
I think that the governor had a really, in many ways, pretty easy first year. Yeah, um, he came in on uh, high oil prices. And high oil prices. Drilling. The governor had, or the uh, the previous legislature had just passed. Like he really got like the best of both worlds, right? Because the previous legislature had passed a tax increase that he said he would veto, but like he didn't actually have to make that decision. So <laughs> he got to like he got to campaign on like saying, "Well, oh, this is increased taxes. I'd veto that. This is wrong for Oklahoma." Right. But he didn't have any problem like spending the money and putting it in the savings account when right, he took office. Right. So like he didn't issue refunds to everybody. So <laughs> like he, I, I think this year is going to be, a, I, I think it's gonna be a lot more challenging in terms of the, the, the fiscal outlook. And we'll, I mean, we'll see. So maybe they'll be able to make another rainy day deposit deposit again this year or not. I think it's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. If, if revenues are down, and they try to cut agencies to make a rainy day deposit. Oh no, that's not going to go well. Right now, and I also am not a hundred percent sure that's that you can do that, but maybe you can. I don't know. Um, that gets into like because the rainy day fund's like a constitutional thing, and like right. how you have money left over, and so yeah, because you can only spend a portion of it. Yeah, yeah. So well, we'll see. I mean, if if the trend continues, it'll it'll be a nearly flat budget, I think. If, yeah. But there's also a slim chance we'd have to tap that larger rainy day fund yeah. in order to get through this next year. Actually, you know what? There's going to be a shit ton more money. I just, I just realized that. Why is that? We're going to take it from the tribes, man. <laughs> we're going to go get it. We're going to go get it from the, we're going to go get it from the natives. <laughs> so the other big issue that is dangling out there with 21 days on the clock, right? Is that, uh, the tribal gaming compacts for class three gaming, which is, I think ball and dice and, um, card games like poker and stuff right um class two is slot machines i think so anyway the the big tribal gaming compacts are set to expire at the end of the year um are they well that's uh it seems really clear this is a little weird to me i'll just be honest every news outlet's been like the governor says that they don't renew the tribes say they do here's the language and the language is like the compacts renew. Like it's, it's it's in black and white, and it, according to some insider reports, the meetings are not going well. Yeah, I think what the deal is here, and I I have not read like all the details of the of the compact language. I think what it comes down to is, and I I don't I will know as we talk about this more, but I don't right this minute. <laughs> no, there are there are some like there are some conditions in the compacts that the tribes have to meet mm-hmm. and the governor's contention is that the compacts only renew automatically if those conditions are being met the uh. tribes say they are the governor says no you are not um from from what i've heard um the tribal leaders have been in this meetings have not been impressed by Governor no. Stitt's bullish approach. No. The way the whole thing the way it, it rolled out, which we've already talked about, um, and how it's continued. And even just this week or last week, they had the most recent meeting and the reports that I heard um, either in the media or from, from contacts out there were not in Governor Stitt's favor. Yeah, and they've, they've pretty much completely broken down. I don't know what... I don't know who... Again, you know, this is my, like, annual... Not annual, my uh, my my routine. Not a lawyer disclaimer, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know who told the governor he was on like super solid legal full, legal footing here. I don't know if they've got like some ace in the hole, but like, I mean, I think from a negotiating standpoint, it makes sense. Like, you kind of just come out bold and see what happens, right? Like, yeah, and but, it's been early enough that they can they can bullshit both ways. Sure. What's worst case scenario though? Like for who? 
for the state of Oklahoma. I mean, uh, let's say they can't come to an agreement. That's what I'm, I guess. They don't agree on something. They don't officially renew it. There's the a, tribes are going to keep, in that case, I, the tribes are going to keep doing what they do. But aren't they only able to do what they do because there's some agreement with the state? Like, could the state make yeah, but class go, three illegal? Yeah, they could, but then it's going to go to court. Uh, right. So, so, the, so the tribes are going to be like, uh, bleep you, you know, <laughs> like, you know, screw you. Like, we're doing we're doing our thing. Right. Uh, you try to make this illegal, but you can't because we have this gaming compact. Right. And then they'll go to the court and the courts will ultimately say, like, yeah, the compact is enforced and the state can't do that. Or the tribes didn't meet the conditions and the compacts aren't enforced. And now whatever the state's done is. So I guess it really comes down to if they're going to if they're going to reach that point. How confident are the tribes in their legal footing? So, I mean, let's say that's what happens, right? Um, someone's got to shut up. If if the governor wants to play hardball, then he's going to have to send in troops to shut him down or something? I mean, I guess, but I don't know that you can send state troops onto native land and, like, shut down native casinos. Like, I'm, So, we're hoping this doesn't get ugly, but there's a potential it could get really yeah, ugly. But, I mean, this is, but it's also really, really... I mean, Indian law is, like, really complicated. So, so complicated. And I want to be clear, like, that is a, like... Like Indian law is like a term. I try really hard to use the term like native and not even like native Americans because I think that's more like the the folks that I know, that's how they tend to think of and refer to themselves. But like when you're talking about this, like Indian law is like a mm-hmm. a thing. So I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm using that term like intentionally, but it's like really, really complicated. There are lots of lawyers who spend their whole like <laughs> their whole careers working just on subsets of Indian law. So yeah. we may have to get somebody on to uh Explain this. That would be that's a good idea. If I don't know who out there feels confident enough to say anything, um, the one thing we haven't heard much about this year, I think, is the health department, and that's probably for the benefit of everybody. That's yeah. That's a that's an that's a good development. Let's move on. Uh, so we spent a lot of time talking about what's happening with Governor Stitt this year because it's his first year, uh, his first uh, first year of his first term, and it's been a, a marked change from Governor Fallon's administration. The update on, or the recap on what happened with the legislative session we've touched on, but it was, it's a lot quieter, right? So the big thing that happened last year was that the far right contingent of the state legislature, the the platform caucus, if you will. Yeah, ran out of town. They got, yeah, knocked out in the primaries by their own. Um, so there was a, we've talked about this a lot, I think, but the, some Republican members of the, of the house ran an attack ad and basically stage a coup and, and kicked them out. Right. And, yeah. and replaced them with more traditional chamber type Republicans who are still very conservative. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, many of them we've had, we had a representative Mize on the show, um, a few months ago and he was one of those folks that came in, um, to replace one of the, someone that was farther, farther right out. Um, so that by and large, lent to two things one a very young as in inexperienced in the legislature um a group of folks nearly 80 percent of the legislature has been there for four years or less a big chunk of those have been there for two years or less and that's like half yeah um and in a building that's actively being remodeled they literally may not know where the bathrooms are (laughs) on every floor um so that's happened um, and then also everyone was so busy, I think, just trying to like figure things out and, and you know, get in line and stay in line that it things went pretty smoothly. Uh, with the year, as we've talked about plenty, 
it was um, also a similar tale, right? We still had bills about abortion. We had bills about guns. Uh, permitless carry was a big thing. And I think will continue to be a thing as we go into 2020. Um, healthcare still being discussed. Um, and that's, I mean, there were, uh, there's, you know, several hundred other bills that passed, but I feel like there wasn't like a, there wasn't a huge contention about the budget, right? It was, it was a breather a little bit. It was a bit of a breather <laughs> coming on the heels of two special sessions, right? Like, <laughs> and it was so exhausting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so 2019 was quiet. Uh, I think next we're going to get into a discussion about what to expect in 2020, rumors, expectations, all of those things. Uh, but first, a quick word from our sponsor this week, Derek with OKCHomeInspect.com. Uh, Derek's a home inspector in Oklahoma City and surrounding areas. If you're purchasing a home, I want to know what you're getting. Um, that information is the most important part of having peace of mind and getting a new home. You got to have an inspector. I mean, you you do right. Like there are so many variables, and you know it's it's good to go into it's good to go into any transaction like trusting the person person across from you. But sometimes you just need to you need to know that there's somebody who is who's on your side and is looking for all the things that you either you might forget to check or you forget to ask or maybe maybe you don't know to check. Right, and uh, I think in my experience, it's often helpful to to find someone as the buyer, right, um, to come in. And if you're selling the house too, it's helpful to get an inspection a heads up before you put that house on the market so you know what to expect. So whether it's, I think, anything from mold, termites, uh, energy audits. Yeah, I mean, you know, home, like people don't think about like uh, a house as being, you know, how complicated it is. You and I have both in our past lives worked in construction. You've been a, you've been in the roofing industry. I've worked in, you know, I've worked as an electrician's apprentice. I've worked in carpentry and flooring and Man, homes are complicated. You've got HVAC systems, electrical systems, plumbing systems, roofing systems, you know, foundation systems. If you live in the part of town down here, you know, kind of downtown where we live, like people don't have slab foundations. It's all conventional flooring, right? You've got crawl spaces. Um, so you you need somebody who's trained, who has some expertise and experience in like how to evaluate those things and see how are they functioning now in 2020 compared to like you know when they were installed, whether that was a year ago or 10 years ago or 100 years ago. Yeah. So uh, if you want clean third-party information for your home decisions and peace of mind, give Derek Sharing a call or text right now. His number is 210-718-9477 or just go to okchomeinspect.com. Tell him, tell him the guys at Let's Fix This sent you. Yeah. Tell him that uh, you heard about him on Let's Pod This. Okay. So let's get back into our discussion of what to expect from the legislature in 2020. I mean, we've hit on some of it, right? Like uh, there's going to be a lot of healthcare and I'm, and I'm lumping medical marijuana into this too. I think we're going to continue to see more rules and updates about medical marijuana. Um, what that industry looks like, maybe some, you know, in- increasing regulation or changes in some of the rules that are out there. Certainly we're going to see a lot f- about uh, Medicaid where I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of conversation at least about, the health of Oklahomans. I know that the the legislative working group has spent a lot of time about like hearing from experts about what constitutes health and like how a lot of the issues that Oklahoma has is that like are, are related to the fact that as a state, we're not very healthy in terms of having high rates of obesity and, you know, diabetes and hypertension, those sorts of things. And, and I think a question is going to be, 
do we need to do things to incentivize Oklahomans to be more healthy or do we need to give them health care and that will help them be more healthy? Like, I think that's kind of mm. a little bit of the kind of the two sides of this coin. And we're going to see a lot about that. Yeah. The other thing that we've started to hear about is that while teachers have received um, a decent pay raises the last couple of, of years, um, retirees, both I think teachers and even public employees, right, have not received a cost of living increase. However, the cost of living does go up. Uh, and so I believe there'll be a significant push for that. Lots of conversation about a, a COLA, if you, cost of living adjustment. I guess that's what the A is, right? It's not coal. Um, yeah, so cost of living adjustment for retirees. And then um, I think we have heard certainly heard about three ballot measures at this point, right? The, the Medicaid expansion ballot initiative, the independent redistricting ballot initiative. Oh, that's happening? That's right. I wasn't. I'd... I'm working on that, <laughs> full disclosure. And uh, and then most recently, a, a yet another criminal justice ballot measure dealing with sentence enhancements, which is an obscure term. Yeah, that's like a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah, we'll come back to that before it gets around. Uh, they will likely be collecting signatures. I think they start here in a couple of weeks. Um, Medicaid already has their signatures, independent redistricting. Uh, we hope to collect ours starting sometime in January as well. Um, so that'll all be out there right in the middle of session, right? <laughs> People, um, so we'll talk more about those as we go along. However, I've heard, Scott, from a couple of sources that there may be a legislatively referred ballot initiative related to abortion. I mean, I'm sure that's true. So what I've, <laughs> you, I am not surprised. <laughs> I'm going to die from not surprise. That was my Iago impression. Um, so <laughs> this is one of those episodes where I'm like, we should edit and cut some of this crap out. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, well, from what I've heard, it may be something like a trigger bill of sorts. So basically some kind of mechanism that says if, Roe versus Wade is overturned, then something happens. Or or it could be a bill that's more aggressive that basically out basically outlaws abortion in Oklahoma but says that it's not illegal and women can still go to other states. Yeah. I mean, those are certainly both real possibilities and would not surprise me at all. Um yeah, <laughs> that's. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that'll happen. But it's interesting that you know you talk uh, talking about ballot measures. Um, so it looks like there. Are, there's one more. There's a. So I've heard also that um, that there may be yet another attempt to undo the permitless carry bill, which was passed last year. They waited way too long and tried that veto referendum. That's interesting. They didn't get enough signatures. Um, but I've heard that, that the same groups are working on some kind of ballot initiative that would basically undo that law. I'd heard a whiff of a rumor, but I didn't know it had gone more than that. So that's I've heard three whiffs. Well, it's it's interesting because you know you talk about all these ballot measures, and and it seems like there are maybe some folks uh, in and around the state, particularly in and around the capital, who don't love the ballot initiative process um, it, here in Oklahoma. It's Oklahoma has a very, um, it's relatively easy to to I, get to get a, a measure on the ballot. I, I disagree. You don't think compared to other states? No. So I mean, about half of states have a, an initiative petition process, 
but ours is one of the more difficult ones. No, okay. All right. Fair enough. You would know more about that than I do. It just, it, it seems like it's pretty easy because we see so many of them. Right. Well, and that's, um, I think that's probably a, a misnomer, right? But the, I think what you're getting at is that we've had a, a number of, of initiative petitions and ballot state questions, right? So I feel like, you know, five to seven on a ballot has become the norm. Um, I've done a bunch of research going back in history, and that's pretty much the case, right? Like, I don't think there's a an, an increase in them. However, the pertinence of them um, in the last several years, I think, has been raised. And I think we alluded to this earlier. It's that these are all issues that have been discussed, and we're not amending the Constitution. We're not doing these things because they're already in there necessarily, but it's the people who are tired of the legislature not doing anything, not doing anything. Yeah. Right? And they're like, well, if you're not going to do it, then, then we are. But there are those out there who don't like that this process is happening. Uh, so the state chamber um, has uh, added um, a bullet point to their 2030 plan that would, would restrict the ability to use ballot initiatives to, to make these kind of changes to the constitution. Do you know? They haven't said how, okay, but I think there's a few ideas, right? So they could right now in order to get, a state question on the ballot you have to collect a certain number of signatures right and that it's a percentage based on the last gubernatorial election and that part's encoded in the constitution but my understanding is that the legislature could make changes and say for example you have to get not just 15 percent like you have to get 15 percent from each county or 15 percent from each congressional district or that you they they could outlaw paid signature collection, um, a lot of those things they could change the time frame. I think I don't know if that's in the constitution, but there's some of those things they could do to fiddle with it, basically to make it more difficult for voters to pass laws they want. Yeah, it's that's not shocking. Easy. Most state questions don't pass anyway, so like it, this is uh, a big deal. Also, how funny? I don't know, maybe not funny. How I think. <laughs> How misguided would it be for them to try to pass that in an election year when there are several very popular state questions on the ballot, right? Like these are several state questions that they arguably support. Oh, yes. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Some in public, many in private. Right. Yes. Um, I mean, and so I just it's it's and I mean, we could spend all maybe we could spend and we probably will spend a whole episode on state questions. But I think it it also the elephant in the room as we're talking about all of this, right? As we're talking about like cola, which is a whole a whole thing. We're talking about healthcare. We're talking about restricting ballot measures. We're talking about abortions. Oh, by the way, all that stuff, you know, signature collection for uh, redistricting, all those things be coming to a head in like what, like late March, April, yeah. something like that. What else happens in late March, early April? Oh, we start talking about the budget, right. which is arguably going to look worse this year than it did the year before. Right. So, um, I I think it's uh, God. I just got back from vacation. I'm already tired. I, I was I was just thinking <laughs> earlier. I'm going to start sleeping now. It's like, uh, buckle up. That's Bu- right. Buckle up, Buttercup. Well, it's going to be busy. And uh, I guess our listeners don't know this, but my wife and I are having a baby in February. So, right. Right there at the beginning of session, we'll have a newborn, and there's a good chance you're going to see me on the campaign trail uh, with a wearing a baby with a Bjorn. Yeah, um, that is indeed my child. So, um, well, that should be a busy year, I think. Um, it's going to be a hoot and a half. A hoot and a half. Now, on a more um, personal or or local note, 
a few things to expect from us here at Let's Fix This. For one, we have two interns going into 2020. They came on this fall. They've been rock stars. Kara and Isabella are going to stay on board in 2020, um, and they are really helping uh, us kind of create some new content and, and drive what we're doing. So uh, Scott and I will release our annual Predicto-Rama in early February, right? So um, Budge, or, uh, Bill Filene is January 16th, I think. And at that point, we'll know what all is being filed. We'll start talking to folks and kind of come up with what we think might be the most likely issues out there. And we'll put out our annual Predicto-Rama game where you can win a t-shirt or a tote bag or I mean, an autographed photo of us. I don't know. We should we have those. <laughs> we'll find for headshots. We'll take right. some headshots. <laughs> um, and you can come on the show. So um, we'll do that probably right around the end of January or early February. So listeners, you are well attuned for that. I'm trying to think of a better way to score it this year. It's always a little messy or time consuming at my end. Um, secondly, we're going to, um, again, focus, uh, you know, let's fix this, has a, a, several uh, issues related to election reform and how kind of that fabric of our democracy works that we care about. And so we will do, a, we're going to be more diligent about following those bills and giving you updates along the way. As it often happens, those bills don't get heard very much in Oklahoma. It seems that legislators are not always keen on adjusting laws that, that might make their lives more difficult. Uh, but we'll release that information and, and try to do a better job of, of bill tracking. Again, we do recommend you use Legiscan, legiscan.com. I think it's free. That's what we use. That's helpful. Um, the interns and I are building a civic education curriculum and online courses, everything from you know how a bill becomes a law to how to vote to how to enter the Capitol. And what we're really doing is just trying to go back to basics, right, and help everyone, every voter in Oklahoma, everyone in Oklahoma, get a better understanding, a deeper understanding of how the system works in a way that is like more approachable and not so academic, right? So it's kind of a study on your own system. And if you complete all of them or it's, we'll build them into little courses, we'll, I'll mail you a certificate even. You can be a, have a, like you trained it. And this, if you are someone, if you're a college student or someone who's looking to do an internship, um, these will be really helpful. This will get you uh, a big step uh, on the way. I'd like to think of this as the preamble to like, okay, policies, um, their summit they have, their summer learning institute, summer learning summit, whatever it is they call. Um, this would be like your kind of a stepping stone for that. Um, should be really great. We've started work on that already. For the podcast, Scott, we're going back to weekly episodes. We'll be back in the saddle uh, every week. We may be, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we may be... We may be changing our theme music a little bit. You Ooh, may we've been tossing around a few things. We may you may we may have a different a little different a little different opening feel. That's right. It's been it's been three years. We we've done a hundred episodes. Maybe something a, a change is due. Uh, and then go ahead and mark your calendars now for November third, twenty twenty, the election night show. It's back. It's back. I got the reservation approved this week. So uh, we will be at the Tower Theater here in Oklahoma City on on 23rd Street like we were last year. It won't be four hours long this year. The programming will be markedly shorter, but more packed in, more fun, uh, and hopefully more engaging. And we'll make it more of a kind of a, a watch party for election results for everybody. So uh, go ahead and mark your calendars. November 3rd, 2020, the Election Night Show. 
It's going to be good stuff. Should be good stuff. All right. On that note. Oh. I turned it down too low. Okay, well. On that note, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks, Scott, for being here. It's good to see you. You too, man. It's good to be back doing this again. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts. Uh, share it on Spotify. Tweet about it. Send it to your friends. Text your mom. Let folks know that this is out there and that we will be back in the saddle in 2020, bringing you weekly updates of what's going on in the state legislature. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson. I, Andy, am at Andy OKC. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. The website, as you may have guessed, is Let's Fix This Okay.org. On there is upcoming events. Um, we'll put uh, meaningful dates for the legislative session on there, including the state of the state, the kickoff of the legislative session to which you can attend. It's always interesting. Uh, read our blog, sign up for the newsletter, find resources like our curriculum will be going up in, in the new year and um, other information. Also, you can make a donation, which we'd really appreciate if you hurry and do it for the end of the year. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your donations are tax deductible. So please go to letsfixthisok.org and uh, make that donation. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me. And let's pod this. It's a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music thus far has been provided by the Sugar Free All Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage in their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way you can. Remember, decisions are made by those who show up.